Hello, everyone, and welcome to Then Again Podcast by the Northeast Georgia History Center. I'm Libba Beecham, Interim Executive Director, and our guest today is Rebecca Pogue, Head of Elementary School Programs at the Alliance Theater. Now, the Alliance Theater is located in Atlanta, Georgia, and was founded back in the late 1960s and provides high-quality performances, touring shows, education programs, workshops, acting classes, and a whole lot more. But today we're going to speak with Rebecca about how the Alliance Theater uses drama and theater techniques to teach concepts of history and critical thinking. And I'm really excited for this conversation because, as many of you know, our programs also focus on a lot of historic character portrayals or living history. But there are so many other ways to incorporate theater into teaching, so I'm really excited to go ahead and dive in. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found theater in your life. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Rebecca Pogue, and I am a proud native Atlantan, so grew up in this fine state of Georgia. Um, I was a theater kid in high school and studied dance all the way from age three to earning a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Dance from the University of Georgia. Go dogs. I then returned back to Atlanta and started working at the Woodruff Art Center about 10 years ago, transitioning to the Alliance Theater, which is a part of the Art Center in 2015. Wow, that, that's wonderful. Um, I mean, I, I'm curious if you, when did you dive into theater as a, as a child? Was it really early on for you? I always had an affinity for musicals specifically because it brought together that love of dance with theater. My favorite movie is Singing in the Rain. It has been for as long as I can remember. Oh, yeah. And I think when I was in high school and middle school, I started actually getting to perform on the stage and step into the roles of different characters. And I think I was also able to choreograph and bring some of that dance side into my school's productions. So that was a really rewarding experience for me. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I grew up in theater myself. My mom was, is still a, a drama teacher. So I think that, you know, when I came to the History Center and saw living history, it was such a direct connection to theater and bringing stories to life. So I'm curious how the Alliance Theater has done that through, specifically with the workshops that y'all hold. We got to meet at the recent Museum Schools Conference, which was awesome. I was so happy with uh, all the sessions and everything that I learned there. And no offense to all the other sessions, but your session was my favorite. So Thank you. That means so much. <laughs> Because it meant a lot to me, um, just being reminded, I think, of how you can really gamify things with learning, you can really bring kids that might otherwise be a little shy into really engaging with history and what you're learning. So talk to us about the Alliance Theater's workshops for schools specifically when it comes to social studies and history. Sure. Thank you. So thank you again for complimenting our session. That means so much. So... As you mentioned, the Alliance Theater has been around since the 1960s, and our mission is to expand hearts and minds on stage and off. So our education department is responsible and takes the lead on tackling the second half of that mission, so expanding hearts and minds off stage. We're a national leader in that field, developing innovative programming for all ages 
which includes the Alliance Theater Institute, which is the in-school arm of our education department. So we partner with school districts and schools to deliver professional learning for teachers and arts-integrated or theater-based instruction for students. So the Institute has been around in a couple of different formats since the early 1990s. And the bulk of the work that we do falls into one of three different buckets. So the first bucket of programming are our residency programs. And these are when we send teaching artists into schools for an extended period of time to collaborate and co-facilitate lessons with a classroom teacher. So we're talking about 10 to 12 sessions a piece. Our second programming bucket are our one-time student workshops. One time diving in, focusing on a very specific standard or concept. And then finally, the third bucket are our professional learning workshops for teachers, where we train them how to use these strategies in their classrooms. So personally, I am motivated to do this type of work because of a couple of different reasons, but two of the main ones are actually featured in Learn for Life's recent annual report. And the first is that students who are not reading on grade level by the time they're in third grade are four times more likely to drop out of high school. And so in Metro Atlanta in 2022, only 39% of third graders were proficient in reading. Wow. Well, I'm sure that's a pretty uh, surprising statistic for a lot of our, our listeners. For some, and it speaks to the challenges that we're facing as a state too, of getting our students to be successful in life and career. And a lot of that burden falls on the teachers, which is the second point from that annual report where teachers are experiencing two times as much job-related stress as the overall workforce. And only half of Georgia's teachers plan to teach for the next five years. Wow. So when I hear those two statistics, I immediately want to identify programming that results in students' academic achievement and social-emotional growth. But then I also want to be able to support teachers however I can. So we align all of our programs to the Georgia Standards of Excellence. We model best practices in arts integration so teachers can engage in job-embedded professional development. And they're able to collaborate alongside our professional teaching artists who are embodying the highest quality of artistry and using different art forms to positively impact school communities. You know, I, I this sounds like so many excellent resources, but it's it seems like they're so targeted toward exactly what that demographic needs. So it's awesome that y'all have professional development for teachers. I'm really curious to learn more about that. The residency program, I wasn't totally aware of that either. That seems so, so unique in a sense to have a teaching artist that goes to to the schools. Is that how I understand it? Yes. In the pandemic, we pivoted to virtual instruction and still offer hybrid learning, some mm -hmm. in person, some virtual. But the majority of what we do is in-person teaching artists going to the schools, meeting the students and teachers where they are, both in terms of geographic location, but also what they're studying. Yeah. And then, and then these one-time workshops, that sounds like an excellent resource as well for uh, schools too. And Going back to the heart of all of this, you said expanding hearts and minds. And I love that phrase because, you know, ultimately it seems like there's a lot of alignment with 
what we try to do here at the Northeast Georgia History Center and what the Alliance Theater's educational programs try to do as well. And it's it's not necessarily that we want that group of students to take every name and date and memorize it and, and know all these tiny details, but it's really about giving them that sense of curiosity to help them be curious to learn even more and to engage with what they're learning. So, and I'm really curious to learn more about what arts integrated means. This was something that was really like a a light bulb moment for me during the session. And I'd love to sort of dive into that phrase specifically, because it seems like most of these educational programs that y'all offer at the focus is this arts integration part. So could you explain what that means in practice? Yes. And our boss, Chris Moses, our Dan Reardon, Director of Education and Associate Artistic Director, always talks about cultivating a culture of curiosity. So I love that you are on that same wavelength too. But yes, at the elementary level, the bulk of the work that we do is in arts integration, which I recognize might be an unfamiliar term for some. But in simple terms, We are using an art form, which in our case is theater, to teach any subject area, so math, science, social studies, you name it. And in our lesson plans, the curriculum standards of these core content areas have equal importance to the theater standards. So an example I often give is here in Georgia, second grade students study the Blue Ridge Mountains in their social studies class, the geography. So a teacher might ask the students to create a visual aid that represents their knowledge of the Blue Ridge Mountains. But if you're not assessing, evaluating, or questioning the student's knowledge of any arts concepts in that project, it's merely arts enhancement, which is a wonderful term because it means you're bringing the arts into the classroom. But to make it true, authentic arts integration, that teacher can give that same prompt, give that same project, but they would need to teach the elements of art. So line, shape, color, texture, et cetera. And so then when the student presents their visual aid, they're sharing both their knowledge of the Blue Ridge Mountains and of the elements of art. Again, equal playing field, holding both the art and the core content standards to the same rigor. So you just talked about the arts integration example. So um, I'll go back to what I was going to say. What I really love about this is that it seems like the arts integration path also opens up opportunities for students to really find how they love to learn best. So, you know, creating a, a beautiful artwork of the Blue Ridge Mountains while at the same time learning these concepts that now you may apply those to, oh, well, if I see a landscape that I really think is beautiful as a student. Now I'm not just seeing the land, I'm also seeing the lines and the shapes and the perspective because I got to learn that while learning about the land around me, the Blue Ridge Mountains as well. I I think that's such a big difference between that arts integrated and arts enhanced. <laughs> so I, I'm really glad that you offered that uh, that example. And I'm, I wanna know what teachers think of this because for me, you know, at our session, at your session, the ideas were just flowing because here is this way for folks with a theater background that already have a lot of these skills and these practices to bring that into the fold. But I'm wondering about teachers who may not have like a theater background and how 
this approach helps them and what their uh, feedback has been and their comments about the this type of program. What's it like for a teacher to be trained in arts integration? I think you hit the nail on the head on one of the things we hear from teachers or one of the most popular things we hear from teachers is, I am not an artist. And so we hear they're like, I'm not an actor. I'm not a performer. I don't even know where to start with bringing the arts into my classroom. So there are some really easy strategies we can talk about later that take no prep, no supplies. And honestly, we can connect to any content area. But after completing our program, we hear from teachers that they are engaging their students in new ways. They're able to develop tools and unpack vocabulary and curriculum. And they're also reporting higher satisfaction with their own professional learning, which I know we talked about the stresses that are on teachers. And so any way that we can alleviate stress, concern, make the classroom a more creative, engaging place, the better. Yes, I, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, teachers may go into it feeling a little hesitant if they don't have that background, but I bet they have a lot of fun learning these techniques uh, as well, probably as much fun as the students. And so I can imagine that being a really positive uh, experience and giving them way more confidence uh, in the classroom to have techniques that they know are going to be engaging, interactive, and fun. So that could definitely definitely take the stress off of a teacher, of course. Now, let's go into the specific techniques that are based in theater and drama that really enhance the learning in the classroom. So could you give us some examples of what these teachers are now implementing in the classroom? Yeah, so I will share two elementary school examples, and then I'll also share one secondary example at the middle and high school level. So in elementary and middle schools, we implement a program called Historical Figures Come to Life. So in this five or 10 session program, I feel like this is going to be right up your alley. Students research a selected historical figure from their social studies standards, and then they write a monologue in first person point of view as if they are that historical figure. Oh, wow. That's so fun. So they've got to, they've clearly got to know their stuff if they're going <laughs> to write a monologue. And Absolutely. Yeah. So they write the monologue, they design the costume, Aww. they develop the voice and movement tools of the actor, and then they bring it all together and perform that monologue in character. Wow. And talking about the teacher's role, the teacher is a full participant alongside the students, both as a writer and as a performer. So we always ask them to share a monologue at the top that models the students, both the writing process and the art form, but also the risk taking it involves to uh -huh. put yourself out there. Yeah. And so this is one of the more product oriented programs we do. The majority are more process oriented. But the result is that these students are stepping into the role as historical characters. They are imagining what they're thinking or feeling, and that way they're able to approach their social studies curriculum from a more empathetic lens. Yeah, it creates such a personal connection because I'm sure, you know, as part of this process of writing the monologue, they're involving their own research, they're making connections to their own life. And that is something that's going to leave an impression with a student. Like, even if years later, they don't have the exact date or location in their mind, they, 
they have that human connection to a historic figure and that I'm sure stays with them for a long, long time. I mean, speaking from personal experience, not quite a historical figure in social studies standards, but I wrote a monologue and performed as Salvador Dali when I was in sixth grade. And I even still remember, I won't do it here, but I even still remember parts of that monologue just because I was the theater kid. It spoke to my interests, but it was also fun to become someone different and experience the world through their viewpoint. So a really easy strategy that teachers can bring to their classroom, it requires no prep, nothing, are statues. So frozen statues, the students will create those with their bodies. So first, I would recommend talking about what is a statue in real life, and then explain that as actors, a statue is frozen and it doesn't talk. The main elements of a statue is that it has interesting body shapes facial expressions, and levels. So we mean high, middle, and low. And then you can ask them to create statues of anything. When you're first introducing this concept to them, I would recommend giving them prompts of fun things that they would know. So like a baseball player, a rock star. And then you can slowly graduate to the more content-focused statue props, like Paul Revere, or The Sun, or Fractions. Getting them to create a fraction of one half is always really interesting. And so not only can you do statues standing up, but you can also doing it sitting down when you're talking about a moment in history or reading a story, because it's really making the students stop and think about what that character is thinking or feeling in that moment. So if you're studying a moment in history, like the Great Depression, for example, you could ask them, create a statue of what it looks like to have someone waiting in line for food or an explorer vent venturing to a new land. Or if you're studying the executive branch, how would a statue of a president look different than a statue of a governor or a mayor? And then statues are just so easy and it's a great informal assessment because you can look around the room and see who understands the prompt. Who understands this concept? So if the prompt is waiting in line, waiting in the bread line for the Great Depression, and a student is creating a happy statue, then obviously you need to take a second, review the topic, and really explore what's happening in that moment so you're able to understand what they're thinking and feeling. And yes. Yeah, that seems like such a, a simple yet so effective technique because you're getting the emotional side of it. Uh, like you said, what is this person thinking and feeling? Those are the things that they're going to remember, you know, and connecting it to your body language, that's going to help you really solidify and remember the story behind what you're learning. So the story of these actual people that you're learning about. And, you know, the, again, like you said, doesn't require any cost. It just needs, all you need is the the game, you know, the, the exercise, the practice of it. And it seems like another resource that, or another uh, exercise that can also be implemented by, by parents when they're reading stories to their kids or they're learning something uh, from the, even from the movie characters that they're watching or, or shows that they're watching, that if you can embody and try to understand them in a frozen moment, I, I think that's just such a, unique and simple yet super effective way to learn. So thanks for sharing that tip. I hope that uh, listeners will also 
implement that and let us know how it goes. Yes, please. Now, I know that, of course, I think you may have touched on this, but there's going to be some students that feel a little bit intimidated by this, but I bet that the majority of them, if not all of them, are ready to perform that monologue by the end of it since they put in the work, they've got their costume, they know what they're going to say, they feel confident about it. But could you talk to us about how a teacher can build that confidence, what that process for those students that may not have much experience in front of on a stage or in front of a classroom that have the shy ones, I guess I'm just getting at. Not, um, not us. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because you're exactly right that in every class of students, you have the students who are gung-ho, who are ready to perform, tell you everything they know about their historical figure. And then you have the others who are maybe more shy, more tentative. So there are strategies where we're really focusing on the tools of the actor. So developing that voice and body, a lot of that is whole group. So everyone's creating a frozen statue at the same time. Everyone is talking in the voice as their historical figure. That way it's not like a spotlight of attention. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final performance, a lot of schools opt to do a wax museum where they push the desks to the side or they're in a rec area and the students freeze into statues of their historical figures. And then the caregivers can come around and bring the students as the historical figures to life. They perform the monologue, they freeze back in their statue and the guests can move to the next student. So that way, Again, spotlight isn't on the student. They're not standing up in front of the class and everyone's caregivers presenting. Everyone's performing all at the same time. So it evens the playing field. Oh, yeah. That seems like a like a great process. And I I love the the wax museum. I know that's been a popular form of program, I, I guess, since even when I was little. I, I remember being Amelia Earhart. And, and that was such a memorable experience for me. I still I still remember quite a bit about Amelia Earhart because of that. Exactly. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it, it's awesome that, you know, while this is sort of a it's a program that has you know, been utilized in other forms, but I bet the process is fairly unique, like you've talked about from the Alliance. So I love the idea of really teaching them about being in tune with their bodies and body language, I'm sure, and their voices. And they probably get to really experiment with what their voice can do, you know, <laughs> which which I bet can surprise them sometimes. So yeah, because we talk about Again, to make it true arts integration, we're also having to teach about voice. So pitch, dynamics, rhythm, making strong artistic choices about what that historical figure might sound like based on what you know about that person, while also using the theater music knowledge and terminology as well. Yeah. And now I'm also interested in learning more about, you mentioned that this program was over a few different sessions, but you also offer one day sessions. And to me, I'm like, what can you accomplish in a, in a one day workshop? And I'm sure it's a lot, but can you describe those uh, one day programs? So yes. So our one time workshops dive into a specific standard or a specific topic. A lot of the times it takes the format of a pre or a post-show workshop before an Alliance Theater field trip production. Or an example, we talked about historical figures where it has a very clear product at the end. A lot of times we just jump into a specific 
standard that whatever grade is focusing on in that moment, on that day, one time we're in and we're out. So an example of one of those more process-oriented workshops would be, I observed a couple of weeks ago, fifth grade students who learned the tools of the actor and they learned about major events. They were learning about major events of the 1960s. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the students broke up into different groups and each group received a specific moment from that decade. So first, the students had to create a frozen tableau to represent their moment in history. Oh, yeah. And tableau is a group of frozen statues. And then they came to life as an imaginary news broadcast. So they were starting to use these rules of improvisation, pretending to interview different key figures or imaginary characters. So one group that I worked with, they imagined that they were Cesar Chavez and farm workers, and they were speaking to news reporters about demanding better wages and rights. Wow. So then they shared out with the class, and then that was the end of the lesson. So it was really, we had looked at the curriculum map. That's what the teacher was teaching on that day at that time. We came in, showed how you can use theater to teach it, and then our hope is always, we joke, our hope is that you don't need us anymore, <laughs> that teachers will embody and fall in love with these arts integration theater strategies that they can then replicate in other subject areas. So our hope then is that maybe that teacher takes improv or the tools of the actor or tableau and incorporates it into science or ELA or math. So while the one-time workshop is quick in and out, it does still have that deep impact. Yeah, and it seems like, uh, well, I love the idea of the groups each taking a moment within that historical time period and then sharing their moment with the rest of the class so that you do get to learn about different points of view and different historical events all in that one day session. So in the collaborative part of it, it just seems really fun with a tableau, especially that seems like something that those Shire students can still really actively participate in while still learning all of these theater techniques. And, and yeah, I can imagine a teacher being, you know, introduced to these techniques and just seeing, you know, this, this doesn't take a theater degree or it doesn't take, you know, a lot of experience in theater. These are simple, but really effective concepts that you can practice in the classroom. I love that. Now, I remember in your session, you also discussed how students were learning about dramaturgical skills. So if you could just describe what is dramaturgy for our listeners and how have you incorporated dramaturgy in a history lesson? In the theater world, a professional dramaturg is a really important member of a theater's production. So they are responsible for researching and supplying critical information to the creative team, which would be the director and all of the designers. And they advocate for the playwright's intentions. And then they also engage an audience through educational materials and community planning. So if a theater is doing a production that's set in Shakespearean times, they are researching the time period, the costumes, the dialect. What would they be eating? What would they be drinking? What would the house look like? What would the set look like? And they take all of that research and they then inform the director and the designers of lighting, sound, costume, set, etc. So they're well informed. So you can easily take those skills of a dramaturg and plug it into a history lesson. 
So you can identify a primary source like the Gettysburg Address, and then students can conduct research and closely analyze that text. So like we said, the professional dramaturg would, they would explore the time period, the language choice. If it's a speech, how would the speaker use their voice and body to communicate their ideas? And so then with that research in hand, you can easily bring the speeches to life. So how are students responding to a primary source and putting their own unique contemporary spin on it? So having that foundational knowledge about the source text, when it was created, why it was created, and what was happening in the world at that time allows the students to more deeply connect to the piece and they're able to empathize with the historical characters. Uh, yeah, and it, and it seems like it just opens up a whole world of learning through what you know we here at the History Center and, and other museum professionals called material culture, being mm. the the clothing, the textiles, the tools, the foodways, all of these things that I know that you know there's a direct connection to be made because there are versions of the technology back then that we still have to this day. There's the clothing choices, the materials of the clothing the location itself of where they are set with the speech, for instance. And so I can see that that world building really, not only are you building the world on, on paper or in a little set or through the costumes, but you're really building that world and your understanding of the time period in a much deeper way and much more human way too, because I'm sure the students make a lot of great connections between the material culture, what they're researching, in their own lives every day. And and also, I'd love to know just some, some of your favorite stories of students that have implemented these dramaturgical skills or the monologues that they've written. What are the sort of the stories that come to mind of specific students that exemplify what we've been talking about today, whether it's arts integration, the living history portrayals of, of characters or bringing them to life or the dramaturgical research? I just want to see in my mind's eye, like that happy student or that really excited student, what gets them super excited? What What's the most fun part of it for them? Just those kinds of uh, stories or, or recollections. Okay. So we often hear stories from teachers that students who maybe aren't as comfortable engaging in traditional lessons, that they feel more included and valued when they do this type of work in their classroom. So it might make someone who might not otherwise participate feel like they could be a part of something. So that raises their self-esteem and their social awareness. And then teachers are also reflecting that students were better able to connect to a lesson or remember a concept or a definition better because they were able to connect to and learn about that content in a new way. It creates just a richer, deeper learning experience overall. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can see that. I bet a lot of these students are also going to be bit with a the theater bug. And you, I, I bet you've seen some. We uh, hope so. Yeah. We hope so. <laughs> exactly. This is such a wonderful resource for educators. I'm curious how we can learn more, how our listeners can learn more about what the Alliance Theater has to offer. Are there any shows we should check out soon or coming up or any other programs you'd like to share with us? Yes. So the Alliance Theater has more information online about all of our in-school programming at alliancetheater.org. And we spell theater R-E at the end. 
And then with our colleagues, if any teachers are interested, so with our colleagues, the High Museum of Art and the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, we are hosting the 10th annual Woodruff Art Center Educator Conference, June 1st through 2nd, 2023. And the theme is Energize Through Arts Integration. So several of these concepts and ideas will be modeled if you're interested in learning more about them or seeing them in action. If you are an educator in Georgia, don't forget, or maybe you don't know, that the Alliance Theater offers free tickets for teachers to select performances of our upcoming productions. Later this semester, we'll have The Boy Who Kissed the Sky, which is for all families, all audiences. And this summer, we will have the musical Water for Elephants, based on the best-selling book and movie. Fingers crossed it's Broadway bound, so you can say you saw it first in Atlanta before it heads to New York. And then finally, if you're interested in seeing what young people, young teenagers are doing, combining theater and social studies, this summer, the 22nd annual Pilevsky Collision Project will explore Something Moving, a Meditation on Maynard by Pearl Clegg, who is the Alliance's Distinguished Artist in Residence. So this play will be produced as the centerpiece of our celebration of the 50th anniversary of Maynard Jackson's election as the first African-American mayor of the city of Atlanta back in 1973. And this program every summer really captures that unique contemporary prism that teenagers will take this text, reflect on it, participate in masterclasses, hear from guest lecturers, and all of their thoughts and ideas will be put together to create a brand new play. And that play is what will be performed in July. So if you're interested in seeing this cross-section of theater and social studies told through the lens of young people... Pilevsky Collision Project is the event you need to come to. Oh, all of that sounds wonderful. I'm particularly in, interested in the Pilevsky Project as well. And, and Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so inspiring. I know it's going to be inspiring to our listeners, whether they are teachers or not, because, of course, parents out there can also <laughs> incorporate these techniques when you're out and about learning. and Yes. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the perks of doing theater, you don't need any supplies. You don't need any preparation. You can literally do it spontaneously and in the moment. So anyone can do it. Yes, that is, that is the magic of theater. And uh, Rebecca, thank you so much again for joining us. And folks, uh, all of the links that Rebecca described are going to be in the episode description. So be sure to check those out. And I hope to be at the Alliance Theater very soon. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, we will see you soon. Then Again is a production of the Northeast Georgia History Center in Gainesville, Georgia. Our podcast is edited by media producer Guada Rodriguez. Our digital and on-site programs are made possible by the Ada May Ivester Education Center. Please join us next week for another episode of Then Again.